Hi guys, welcome back. Today we have with us my dear friend, Sharifa Stevens. Um, Sharifa and I actually met because she was featured in this video at a women's conference. Um, and I was like, I need to know this girl. Um, followed her on Instagram and we have created a lifelong bond surrounded by Marvel's Black Panther. We still love to <laughs> nerd out, yes, Wakanda forever, um, on Marvel superheroes. So I'm thrilled to have her with us today because she helps me think better about the Bible and about Jesus. And she is always, she's the friend that will always push me to bring my full self whenever I think I would rather shrink. So I'm thrilled she's here. Welcome, Sharifa. Thank you. Thank you both for having me. We're so excited um, to have you with us on the show. So, okay, Catherine um, and even Sharifa, you I mean y'all just kind of jump in here. Share how you know one another when you met, like what that was like. Oh my goodness. Okay, so I, Catherine, so the first time I met you, it wasn't in person. It was like, was it Marco Polo? Did we yeah. Marco Polo each other? That's what it was. So it was like, who, who, was I responding to your Instagram? Or I think, I don't remember which person respond, but I was like, we need, we need to just, <laughs> we need to just be on Marco Polo like right now because the Dora Milaje cannot wait. Yes, I think it was, I think. <laughs> they take jurisdiction. I think it was like you posted something about going to see Black Panther again, like without your boys by yourself and like no one else like caring as much about the movie as you. And I was like, I do. <laughs> I love it. It was like the first time I had a makeup artist do my makeup. Like, it wasn't for my wedding. It was for Black Panther. So that was the level of, yeah. right? So that was like the level of excitement yes. and pageantry that I associated with going to the theater to see Black Panther. And it did not disappoint. It just didn't. Yeah. It, yeah, I agree. I like, you know, dressed up. I had same dressed up. I mean, I think I saw that movie. It was oh, right yeah. when Movie Pass was like a thing. So I use Movie Pass and I I'm pretty they sure killed, they killed that. Rest in peace, yes. Movie Pass. Um probably saw the movie six rest times. In peace. Like girl, I I'm one. I'm <laughs> I remember you movie saying that, Catherine. You were like, I am one of the people. Like I am literally one of the reasons why Movie Pass doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> I am literally because I used it to see Black Panther six times in the theater uh, in in six weeks. And, you know, there's no shame in how my else? game. And listen, how else are you going to write those I, think pieces? They will not write I, themselves. Exactly. You know, I just what what better way? Thank you, Movie Pass, for sacrificing yourself for Black Panther. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, I yeah, I think. It, I think we were probably friends and like Marco Polo for almost a year before we actually ever met in person. Right? Don't you think? Did it take a whole year? Was Did we meet at that women's conference in person? But that would have been a year because I Was saw it? you one year and then I feel like we had coffee in Dallas, but I feel like it was some months. But that was after. Oh, well, then, yeah. Then if we had met. Well, in person. we met at that women's conference then in person. That was a year. Like I saw you one year and then it was like that the next wild. year I met you in person. That's nice. So, okay. so this is it a is. story about how you can. Oh, my gosh. Make yes. lifelong friends via Instagram. I've made so media. many friends from so, social media and just not, Instagram. And yeah, I mean, it's been really great. So, Faith, how do you know Sharifa? 
That's a good question. Sharifa, I feel like we didn't meet through Delina. I feel like we met just online or like found out about each other it online. Was through that women's conference. Oh, bless it. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know what? It was through Be the Bridge. This is what we're going to say. It was actually yeah. through Be the Bridge. That's what it, it was. was. It was. Well, I mean, that is true. Yes. That's, yes. that's the most You're right. You're honest right. like evaluation. That's what it was. My 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 son still remember going to a lunch yes. or a dinner after an event. Yeah. Yes. And it was like all yes. women. And they were like at the end of it and they were like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I remember Miss This, Miss That, Miss That. So and Miss Faith is one of the people that they still remember to this I day. Know. So Oh, that's so sweet. They're so sweet. I remember that. It's all coming back to Mm me. All of these years and the blending together in that uh, event. (laughs) Well, first of all, what is time anymore? Right. So what what is the passage of time anymore? That could have been last year or 10 years ago because last year was a lot and this year continues to be a lot. lot. That is so true. And I think that's it's all blending together. We also all went to Rwanda together. In 2019. I do remember that. Yes. That's true. Um, so the reason why we invited Trifa today is, like I said, she helps me think better about Jesus and about the Bible. Um, we thought we would do an episode around theological imagination and black women and what does it look like um, to develop that, whatever stage of life you're in. And this is maybe partly based on our conversation a few weeks ago around married at first sight and bad theological imagination. <laughs> Sharifa, are you watching it? Do you watch it? No. I have not. I have not. Please. 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 You know, it's already so messy. This is Faith's area of expertise. Come on. First of all, I love this show. And Catherine indulged me and watched this season just so I could let her see the mess that is Chris on this show. Okay, there's a few people on Twitter who who talk about um, Married at First Sight, a few black women that I love and enjoy, we commiserate about this show with. (laughs) But Chris is basically this, uh, you know, black guy who's grown up in ministry, um, what you would call your typical church kid, right? Families, pastors, but he's um, full of himself, arrogant, um, emotionally uh, manipulative and abusive, and a sex addict, okay? All of those things wrapped up in one. Then you have to add (laughs) the... (laughs) Okay. It's a lot. All right. All right. I think I'm ready. And then you add on top of that that he uses spiritual, you know, languaging and manipulation with this young woman who is, this is where we're talking about the theology part, who is so convinced that it's, you know, God's will for her to be with this man and she just kind of accepts whatever. Um, You know, they got married at first sight. He's not really attracted to her, but she, you know, she has sex with him. On their first night together, she continues to have sex with him even after he tells her he doesn't like her. He's not attracted to her. He just slept with her because he thought it would make him like her more. But yet she uses 
has things in her mind that he is going to love her and that they're meant to be together because that's what God has called her to do, to be a good wife, right? Um, And so she has this spiritual duty to a man that does not want anything to do with her, but she feels like she's dishonoring God by not sticking by his side. The last thing I'm going to say about this is the extra mess is that (laughs) six weeks before you went on this show. Six weeks before, extra, extra mess. Six weeks before he went on the show, he had sex with his ex-fiance. She got pregnant. And so he's dealing with, he's married at first sight. He has a baby mama he just bought a Mercedes for and wants to buy a house for. And this wife- They're really married. You know, made a commitment. Because when you get on that show, you're you're legally married. He made a commitment to this young woman, and he still continues to disrespect her, say he's not attracted to her, that out of all the hundreds of thousands of women in Atlanta, y'all could have at least given me somebody more attractive. That's the Selah. And now, Catherine, you can go into the theology part and why this brings us around to this kind of conversation that we want to have. Yeah, because I do think that there, you know, and I have, you know, it's a reality show, but I think I have so much sympathy for Paige um, because, you know, but for the grace of God, I go. And I know so many other black women that have maybe absorbed um, these kinds of messages where they find themselves in situations where they're being abused. Um, and so I really wanted to have you on. We kind of talked about it a little bit, but I really wanted to have you on to talk about what might it look like for us to form the- theology, to sort of um, grow or develop our theological imagination, whereby this idea that black women are just supposed to accept abuse, whether it's from spouses or, you know, institutions or jobs. It's just like, this is what it means to be long suffering. So um, I wanted to just kind of get started with maybe your biography, like whether did you grow up Christian and what initially led you to seminary? Okay. Okay. So we've taken a hard left out of Chris's Page. We're going to come back around to that. Okay. Wow. Um, because we are absolutely taking a hard left right now, though, because I grew up a little different. But um, I'm, I'm from the Bronx originally, uh, only child, um, brought up to by two loving parents and a wonderful grandmother who lived with us until I was 13 years old who is really um, the picture of long suffering in, in ways that are kind of similar. Uh, I, I believe that my faith was just short of predestined because of the testimony, faithfulness and prayer of my grandmother, just short, you know, because I, I do believe that there is this incredibly inexplicable tension between free will and the sovereignty of God and that dance, you know, and that dance is the mystery of, of who God is, his love. Um, but, um, but my grandmama, like, I know that he heard her prayers. And I also know that my grandmother suffered things that were outside of the will of God for her life because of, um, foolishness not hers not her foolishness so my grandmother was a rape survivor my 
grandfather was not a faithful man. Um, these are things that she suffered with. And I think that part of her relief came from living with us instead of with him. Um, and I was too young to know that at the time, but it was a blessing for me. Um, I have always been in and around the faith in different uh, iterations of it. So my grandmother's church was an exotic departure for me from my parents' church. So, I mean, it was this West Indian, loud, percussive, long and sweaty kind of uh, expression of praise to God. It was just, and my, my grandmother was hard of hearing. So <laughs> it's great that she went to, um, yeah. a church where she could hear most, you know, at least the praise. I, I think it was always hard for her to, to really, um, hear the sermons until the end. But, um, I'm just glad she went to a church where she could express and hear expression. My parents and I went to a Baptist church with like red velvet pews and pillows and hymnal and a huge ornate pipe organ. And it was also, it was very formative. I was there from like four to 25 years old. And um, it was very representative of the city. So there were um, custodial workers, opera singers, uh, ballet dancers, uh, stockbrokers, nurses, just, it was like everything. A lot of, a lot of different, um, immigrants, uh, backgrounds. And it, it spoiled me in ways I didn't know until I left New York. Um, so that was where I was taught who Jesus was. And that was where my idea of what the body of Christ looked like came from. And I, you know, cling to it to this day because I feel like it's more like Revelation 7, 9 and um, then than some of the things that I've seen since. Um, but it was <laughs> the hymnology of that time. <laughs> it can't be beat. It was a very oh, proper, wow. I was in the Handel Choir. So it was like, yes. you know, that flick. I, was I don't not know if you know that flick. The handbell choir at my um, small Baptist Christian school, but I so, in my heart, am a handbell girl. I admire. I admire the handbell. Yes! The little ones, they're like, <laughs> anyway, so that's a little bit about the origin story. So what about that led you to seminary? So, okay, well... There's a direct cord because my young adult pastor was an alum of DTS, um, which is a seminary that I attended, Dallas Theological Seminary. Uh, I was planning on staying in the Northeast forever. So, um, but I, I had interviewed people for, for law school actually. And then, but, but I met a series of very unhappy lawyers, Catherine. It was weird. Like they were just very unhappy. And the one that was really, really ecstatic about her job was like a showrunner for all my children. Oh, <laughs> which for those of you who don't know is a lo was a long-standing soap opera. So it had nothing to do with the legal profession. And so I was just like, well, I need to rethink this. Um, and at the same time, I was growing in the faith, 
my young adult group was uh, beautiful. Uh, beautiful. There's, there. We still, you know, did things like read "I Kiss Dating Goodbye," which you know, yeah, right. So we we still weren't perfect, but you know, we were beautiful and uh, uplifting. There was no sense of competition. There was no sense of. There was just a sense of camaraderie, and I really admired the way the young adult pastor shepherded us into that love. Um, and so when I was looking at studying God's law instead, I just... <laughs> Way to bring that back around. That's yeah, right. Well, that's what it became. It was like, what law, what is better? So at that time, I was just like, well, I have questions because some people say that women who are Christians could do this. And some people say that women who are Christians can do this. And so... Perhaps if I take a look myself in the original languages, I will be able to have more clarity. I was looking at seminaries in the area, but the life and witness of my young adult pastor spoke the loudest. And so I decided that if by chance, secular, untrained me got um, accepted into seminary at my, my youth pastor's alma mater, that I would go. And lo and behold, Low these many years, I have been here in Dallas ever since. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that was not your original plan. Listen, that's it absolutely was not marrying anyone. From, okay, so <laughs> since you know the seminary, I feel like I, I shouldn't slander too much. But I will say I, the seminary men were very scary to me from DTS. Uh, specifically, the fact that I am married to one is a testimony to the man that I'm married to. Um, but also, I i mean, it, it was culture shock. And also, I didn't get all of my questions answered. Shock, gasp. So it, it was quite, but it, I met some wonderful people and I, I did get a really quality education for Whatever, whatever I could get, I got from, from there. So like when we think more about like, you know, what are some of the things that you loved about the faith that you grew up with? Um, but then also, like, what are some of the things that you realize now are harmful, you know, as you kind of navigate and can kind of look back on those things? Yeah. Well, I feel I feel like a person who has never arrived. I So I can tell you where I am today, having experienced the experiences that I've, I've had today. And one of the things I'm learning is to hold space for my, my future self. Mm -hmm. and hold space for my past self, that. you know? So today, based on um, who I've known Jesus to be in my life, as well as in, in scripture, I think that uh, he's, he's dangerous. He's dangerous in, in the best way, in the way a savior would be. So um, when the status quo claims him 
Mm. Somebody's lying and it's not Jesus. So we, we know this, I think, because as a black woman in America, we know based on our social location, a lot of people with pulpits, microphones, um, podiums, power, a lot of people are lying. They're creating legends um, mm-hmm. based on based on lies. And then because because of the hubris of power, they shape God into their a God into their image. Um, the unwieldy thing about Jesus and that I've learned through seeing his body is that he don't look like one kind of person. That's a sign of idolatry, um, not fidelity. When when Jesus, the bo- when the body of Christ needs to look one way in order to be faithful followers. I mean, so so from from just the witness of seeing the body of Christ in my my young um, formation, it's it's been really informative for me. Um, really informative because there's there's a lot of mess that comes with that too. There's there are language barriers, there's socioeconomic barriers, um, and the easy thing would be to say these barriers are just too high. So let's let's just let's give up on this part of the witness that um, is testified to in John 17 as a bedrock of what the faith what love and unity look like. Let's just give up on it because it's mad inconvenient. Um, yeah. So I think that it's to this, to this day, um, the one thing I cling to the most enthusiastically is that Jesus is my decoder ring, my lens, my, um, my glasses. He is, uh, the lens through which I am able to interpret, uh, clarify, uh, question, um, and that goes from societies, systems, people, relationships, to scripture itself. It ha- scripture itself n- needs to, um, for me, as a as a Christ follower, it I need to look at it through the guise of, is this. What is this saying? Is it in line with Jesus? His ideal, not what happened because we're messy. You know what I'm saying? And so that's good news for black women, right? It's good news for, for every single one of us because he's so scandalously generous, but it's, it's bad news for systems that operate God optional. It's, it's really um, bad news for systems that, um, oppress because he just keeps paying attention to the marginalized in the gospels that I read. It's really bad news for um, religious gatekeepers for whom he saves his most vitriolic yet, yet sinless, yet sinless discourse. So um, I, I would think I think those two things, the the just beauty and variety of the body and the beauty of Jesus that that keeps me 
end is the lens, hopefully, on my best days by which I see. Yeah, I do. Yeah, that's yeah, that's awesome. Speaking of like lens and interpretation, um, you wrote a chapter in a book called Vindicating the Vixens, which is all about reconsidering some of the women that um, are given sort of scandalous or um, bad names and sort of the more traditional Christian telling of those stories. And this book, which I highly recommend, um, invites us to reconsider those stories. And I think in some ways our own stories about what the ideal of like womanhood is or what Christ desires for women who are following him. Um, your chapter is about Vashti. So I wonder if you could talk about why do we need to re- reconsider her? Um, and then what did you learn in writing, teaching this new vision about the first woman to resist a capricious man in the book of Esther? Thank you for, for that setup. She was the first woman to resist a capricious man. Chef's kiss. Um, so Vashi, <laughs> you know, Vashi, I don't know if Vashi was a follower <laughs> of God, right? I don't know um, what her what her uh, devotion status was, and I think that's fascinating because we don't we don't need to know according to Scripture what Scripture has given us, but we do need to know that she was that she existed, and that her existence mattered. And that kind of brings um, tears to my eyes because there are certain of us who have to keep repeating to ourselves that we matter, that our lives matter. Um, and in, in, in a crushing empire where you have no rights, where your proximity to power does not give you special rights, where you are one disobedient act away from violence and death, where your, your actions, however valiant, however prudent, will be um, maligned, misinterpreted, um, made as, a, as an example, um, the precursor to ridiculous, litigious um, decrees like this, <laughs> all of yeah. this, feels very present and very relatable to me. I was just talking to a group of women um, for a Bible study about Vashti this, like three days ago. And the one thing I know um, from reading the book of Esther and even reading about who Vashti might have been is that God is faithful. And he He is more faithful than we are. He's, cause Vashti is probably not a great person, but but neither was Mordecai. I mean, neither the if you're a Jew and you're in Persia, when you can go back to Jerusalem, what does that say about you? When you're a Jew in Persia and you would rather change your name and pass, what does that say about you? And for Esther, you know, we're we're not calling her Hadassah to this very day, right? But but the beauty of it is that God saw Vashti and God saw Esther. God saw the people of Israel who were still in Persia. And he said, you know, your lives matter. Your lives matter. Your lives matter so much. Um, And I know you're unseen. And the way I'm going to bring about your liberation is through the most unseen people in the narrative, the people who, who are only hyper visible for their beauty. 
who are who who are going to topple kingdoms not because of their beauty but because of their cunning and because of their dignity and because of their willing to risk it all so Vashti matters to and should matter to all of us because she is mentioned in scripture because she is setting up um, the anticipation of resistance in the book of Esther because she is letting us know through her interaction with the king and with the king's council that a bad king dehumanizes and puts people in harm's way and then makes it legal. Um, a good king doesn't need to show off splendor, grandeur, and doesn't even need to be named explicitly in order for his will to be done. And his will is flourishing and his will is life. Right? So Vashti is the person who alerts us to the fact that here's a king who, who would, who wants to show off his splendor for days and days wants to um, be intoxicated for days and days and the pinnacle of of showing off all of his wealth is to objectify his queen forcibly through seven bouncers like seven right so her act of defiance is is saying that the king is not a good king and there's a problem you can't even cherish the person, the person that you are married to. You don't even protect them. You see them as property. That's not how Jesus is. That's not who he is. He's a good king. And to bridge that as a, again, good news for yeah. black women, we have to imagine something better than a Hazuerus or a Chris. We have to, we have to imagine well, better. And with, with Jesus, yeah. I, I just, I'm just trying to think of, Okay, interactions that he had with women where he was like, you know what you need to do is go home and take that. Like, I, I just, the, the conversations Jesus has with women yes. are about worshiping in spirit and in truth. It's, it's about where to worship the location. It's, it's just so, it's so dignifying. It's like, even, even it, it didn't matter whether, you know, you were a rich entrepreneur like Mary Magdalene or a prostitute. Like it didn't, it didn't matter to Jesus. Um, and so, and they felt that they felt that freedom. They felt that access. They felt that vulnerability that wouldn't be rejected or taken advantage of. They felt it. And, and he saw that vulnerability and held it tenderly and, and calls it worship. And whenever someone fixed their mouth to say yeah. something, to reject that vulnerability or to cheapen it, he covered them. What we're doing now is cannibalism compared to what Jesus did. Instead of, instead of covering, we're throwing people out to be consumed. That poor, that poor lady yeah. you described, being consumed. She's being consumed. Like she's not even human, worth dignity. This country has a legacy of consuming our bodies, of commodifying our bodies. It's not just a legacy because I mean, I could, how, how many people whose last names begin with K can you look at and be like, oh, they made a whole career off of having our, 
out out of purchasing our body parts a whole it, but it, it so it's not a legacy it just keeps we are being consumed and that is not yeah, the way that's good that is not the I way think, of jesus yeah. Well, I wanted you to, to say that, like to talk about Vashti, because I want churches and pastors to stop preaching a sermon that pits Esther and Vashti against each other that says this is, you know, Esther is this biblical woman yes. and Vashti is what happens when you talk back to your husband because you're constructing a theology of abuse where men are free to treat women <laughs> I mean, these cir- when you think about the circumstances what? and you read the book of Esther closely, what even godly woman should walk into a situation in a room full of men naked, drunk men naked? Because, and the thing is, like, we talk about rape culture. It's like our society would be like, well, something happened to her and she was attacked. It was her own fault for going into that room. And yet... Y- a lot of pastors have the nerve to get up and tell us uh-huh. Vashti uh-huh. is good. I mean, Vashti is bad and Esther is good. So I commend vindicating the vixens to all of you listen i just i wish i could say that i haven't heard that take several times from people who i would hope would be doing their their work um and who really have intricate intricate ways of describing what submission looks like really intricate and well detailed but can't you don't have to read the book of esther closely to see that women were taken, young mm. virgins were taken from every province, taken. It's not. It was, what, I mean, you wanna do a word study on what it means when a man is taking a woman? You want? You can do a Bible, bi, uh, a word study in the Bible of what that looks like. It never looks like consent. Here we it go. never, it, all, it looks like assault. You don't have to even read, read the book of Esther closely to see that that if you're choosing a wife from a harem, then maybe that's not no, that's not no, in line with no. your family values statements. Maybe that's not in line. If you if you're comparing yourself to Ahasuerus, you might not be you might not be that that man of God, that that head of the household, mm. that 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 example for Jesus in, in, in your own household that that you think you, you are. Because Ahasuerus isn't about that life. Yes. Never was. <laughs> anyway. Mm, we deserve more. We deserve better. Part two of the Melanated Faith podcast is coming next week. Stay tuned for more. If you love what you're hearing right now, give us a review on iTunes. That helps more people to find us and find our podcast. So we would love if you shared your thoughts about the Melanated Faith podcast there and share it with your family and friends. And we will see you all next week. <laughs>